Most of you know that I spent many, many years um, alongside Pastor Des Evans here. That was certainly one of the greatest privileges, if not the greatest privilege of my life, to get to serve in, in ministry with him. Um, if, you're, if you're new here and have showed up in the last four years, Pastor Des Evans is our pastor emeritus. He was a senior pastor here for about 34 years, and um, I had the privilege of being the, the music pastor during that time. Des was very instrumental in forming and shaping my understanding of Scripture, my understanding of the church, my understanding of the person of Jesus. And I know that's not only true for me, but it's also true for hundreds of you that are in this room that have been around for a, for a while, and you will often hear uh, comments from this pulpit in regard to that. So many of you will, will recall that certain verses of Scripture would get called up with frequency and would often be applicable to life situations as they would arise. And there's um, one of the verses that I used to hear so often, Pastor Des, that emerged... And it's from the New Testament, and I would like to take that verse and use it as what I'm going to call the anchor text this morning. I kind of want to drop a marker, so to speak, or drop an anchor on this text um, and use it as, as a pivotal point for us, even though I'm going to then uh, take you to an Old Testament story. It's this New Testament scripture that I want us to, to anchor to today. It's well known. It's from the, the book of 1 John chapter 3. In verse 2, I can recall so often being with Pastor Des in a meeting uh, of various kinds, either meetings about the church or possibly with individuals or uh, all kinds of, of situations, and something would be said in the meeting that would sound like this, why isn't this thing happening like we hoped? Has God completely forgotten us? I've heard that. I thought by now we would, we would be living in the reality of the promise of God. I surely thought by now we would have, that that would be the case, or maybe there never was a promise. Maybe we just imagined that on our own. We've waited so long, Pastor, it's hard to keep, keep believing in the promise. I, I thought I would be in ministry by now. I, I thought by now I would be married. I, I thought by now we would have had enough money to be comfortable. I thought by now my job situation would be better. I thought this, I, I thought that. And then you would often hear someone address the pastor by saying something like this. After all that kind of conversation, it would come out like this. But pastor, in a, in a tone of exasperation, but pastor, we had a word from the Lord. Pastor, God promised. And almost without fail, I knew what was probably going to come out of Pastor Dez's mouth. It was almost as if they teed it up for him. I knew what was coming. And he would say something that sounded very much like this. But dear one, it is part of the not yets for you. You're still in process and there's more to come. And God's timetable is uniquely his whether you like it or no. He said it to me. He said it to many of you. He said it in all kinds of situations. And when he would say it, my heart would go, I may not like hearing that, but he's right. He's absolutely right. So the verse in our anchor text today that I'm going to ask you to consider with me is 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, which says, Beloved, you know it, now are we the sons of God. But it doth not yet appear what we shall be. 
But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Not one of us in this room today, not one of us, starting with me, none of us are living in the full measure of what we shall be, both in this life and certainly in the life to come. Every one of us is still living with a long list, quite a long list of not yet, not yet. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, but it doth not yet appear what we shall be. I want you to say it with me. Not yet. Say it. One more time. What triggered this thought for me recently is when uh, I took some folks to meet with Des and Mary in, in in the last couple of weeks, and in the course of conversation, Des reminded myself and the people who were, who were with us of a word that had been spoken over this fellowship way back when, when, when he first came. It was even before I got here, so folks, it was a long time ago, okay? And it was given by a little gray-haired elderly lady who was a missionary to Israel. Her name was Edith Little. And the story goes, and some, some of you have heard the story, that she was speaking to this fellowship. I think it was about... 1976, maybe 77, speaking to this fellowship. And in the midst of sharing whatever she was sharing, delightful gal, I I did get the privilege of hearing her speak a couple of times. Whatever she was sharing, it it was as if she was talking along and something somehow in the middle of just sharing whatever she was sharing, something arrested her attention, almost got her, startled her and got her by surprise, and she gave a prophetic word to this congregation. And the essence of it was something like this. Bethesda Church, at that time known as Northside, would have to deal with its spiritual pride. It would endure much suffering as part of that process. And certainly this church did endure much suffering. I've heard Pastor Dez speak of about, I think he says, five splits that took place in the church within a rather compacted period of time. It was a very, very, very dark season for the church. So this church would have to deal with its spiritual pride. It would endure much suffering as part of that process. But out of that brokenness, and can I just remind you that anything God is going to use has to be broken? There's a little nugget there for you. You may be in the process of feeling like you're absolutely being crushed and broken. Well, cheer up. God's about to use you in a way you had no idea he was going to use you. That's just the way it works. But out of that brokenness that this church was experiencing, and out of that suffering, God would bring forth springs of living water that would affect nations. Now, if I understand it correctly, at least part of this prophetic word, parts of this prophetic word were confirmed by another uh, dearly beloved man, a highly respected man who administered to this congregation by the name of J.B. Oaks. The problem with a prophetic word like that is this. What she said, what little, little gal, Edith Little, what she said, little missionary, what she said and what she described didn't look anything like our reality. Nothing. Affect nations? Are you kidding me? We can't have an effect from here to Beach Street. Pathetic and puny and ugly orange carpet and more failures than successes. We didn't even know what success was. Couldn't even spell it, much less have any. 
embarrassing inadequacy on everything from our finances to people. It was honestly laughable. That's the condition we were in. Nor did our circumstances at that time look like there would ever come a day when what she said would come true. And I think it was quite obvious. Many people just dismissed it. Well, bless her heart. Dismissed it. Because it was so outrageous, so far-fetched, so beyond any kind of possibility for us. Well, church, I spent some time this week trying to verify what we know about this prophetic word that has hung over this place for at least four decades. I wanted to see, I wanted to get those who were here, who, who heard it, I wanted to hear in the mouth of two or three witnesses. So I called, uh, one of the calls I made was to a couple who have moved to East Texas several years ago but were dynamically involved. I called Ray and Sharon LaRue. Some of you will remember Ray and Sharon. And, and I, I talked to them just yesterday morning. I wanted to see, Ray, do you remember? Yes, I remember that. And he talked about it. He confirmed, confirmed that what I just told you was true. And then yesterday morning, I called Karen Maddox, who's been here since Moses. And I can say that to Karen because it's true. And... <clears throat> And Karen remembered, you know, each one has the parts that they remember specifically. And yes, I, I recall that happening. And here's what I do remember about it. And then I had Priscilla look in our archives as they are and see if there's any written documentation to this prophetic word that was given to us. And there, there's something sort of sketchy that, that also um, uh, corroborates what I've, what I've told you today. And in certain parts of it, I, it's like you have to take all of the pieces to put them together to, you know, to get the whole but here's the thing I, I want you to understand, I want you to know, that when that little lady was giving that word, and here's the part that, that Karen remembered yesterday when I talked to her, Sharon remembered, this is the part that came to their mind, said, what I remember is this. When she gave that word, and she was just a, a guest missionary speaking, she would have been standing right about where I'm standing right now. Now the platform was completely reconfigured in a different way at that time. But she would have been standing roughly in, in this area. And when she suddenly gave this word that was a prophetic word, what she did not know was this. That right below where I stand right now are a couple of rooms. There's stairs over there and there again. It, it's, things have been reconfigured over the years. But below where I stand are a couple of rooms that would be kind of like basement rooms. We use them now for storage. They had another uh, design intentionally. And so there's just stuff that's kind of been, I haven't been down there in a long time. I try not to go. But, there, um, but there's two rooms down there. Below those two rooms is a natural spring that comes from right about where I'm standing right now. And it's quite interesting. Now, the truth is that spring has caused us problems over the years. <laughs> Things get flooded. I can remember on many occasions when those rooms down there that we had either Christmas stuff or uh, other kinds of things that were stored down there, it gets flooded and, get, and it got destroyed. And it struck me this week as I was just beginning to think about sharing this with you all this week. In the few times that that's happened, that flooding has taken place and those springs have come up, I wonder if it's possible God was just reminding us of what he wanted to do. I wondered if he was going to say, it's part of the not yet's for you. Now are we the sons of God, but it hath not yet appeared. 
everything that he wants to do. Well, here's the interesting part of all of that, and that is this. What seemed so impossible in 1976 and 77 with a small congregation and a pretty weakened circumstances taking place, when I look at what God has done through Stephen Evans and Light of Life International affecting the nations, when I see how the music from this place has gone literally around the globe, I think it's just a foretaste. And church, I want you to know, we have yet to see the complete fulfillment of that prophetic word. Now, for some of you, that may mean absolutely nothing. But I'm telling you, the day is coming when we're going to see even in a greater measure what the Lord wants to do through springs of living water that he, because I'm going to tell you something, when God says it, it's going to happen. No, 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 you didn't hear me. When God says it, when God gives a word, it's going to happen. I've given you the anchor text for the morning, but there's another scripture that came to my mind as I was preparing, and it's from Habakkuk chapter 2. I love this. For those who are in a season of waiting, for those of you who are completely cognizant today that you are in a season of not yet, Habakkuk 2, the Lord gave me this answer. Write down clearly on tablets what I revealed to you so that it can be read at a glance. Put it in writing because it is not yet time for it to come. But the time is coming quickly and what I show you will come true. Oh, it may seem slow in coming, but wait for it. It will certainly take place and it will not be delayed. Somebody, I hope, receives that today in Jesus' name. And let me add this implication that's there. It will not be delayed according to God's timetable. But the problem, church, is in the waiting. The problem is our impatience. And here we sit in 2015 in a culture that completely panders to our impatience. We live in a day of fast food and microwave ovens and speedy checkout lines as long as you've got less than 10 items and, and companies that will have product delivered to your door within minutes after you click on go. And However, I don't know if you've noticed this, but God seems to pay no attention at all to our need for instant gratification. Have you noticed that? Frankly, he doesn't seem to pay much attention at all to making all of life all about me all the time. That doesn't seem to be his greatest concern. His much greater concern is the process that he's working out in us as we deal with the not yets in our lives. And church, I'm going to sound a bit of a sober tone today. I'm, going to, I'm, I'm, I'm hinting at it now, and I'm going to close with it in just a few minutes. We must come to understand that there is a very dangerous element to our impatience. We may think it's no big deal, but there is a very dangerous element to our impatience. There's a, there's a dangerous element to going ahead of God, particularly when God is asking us to wait in certain areas of our lives. Now, I, I feel like I need to put this disclaimer in. I realize that I am probably the least likely, the least qualified in this room to talk about patience. I understand that. Becky asked me on Thursday evening of this week as we were headed out to have dinner with some folks, 
She said, what are you preaching on Sunday? And I was trying to give her the idea, you know, that you know, talking about the not yets and, and, and patience. And she said, you know, maybe you should start by looking that up in the dictionary. See what patience. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> so here's the truth, church. This message, just like every other message, I'm preaching to Dan. Good job, Dan. Preach it. No, 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 stop it. Stop it. So go with me to an Old Testament, familiar Old Testament passage, and you're going to see where I'm headed with this, where we see the principal character who just could not and would not wait for the timing of the Lord. The situation was just not happening fast enough for him. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis 15. You know the story. This is when Abram is about to receive one of the most amazing promises of his life. God begins the initial conversations on the covenant with Abraham, and, and he throws in this one sort of outrageous element to the whole thing. And when he starts saying that nations are going to be birthed out of you, and yet his elderly wife is not even pregnant. Don't miss the elderly part. His elderly wife is not even pregnant. Look at, with me at Genesis 15. The Lord spoke to Abram, that was still his name until chapter 17. The Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you, and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, he's going to have to be the one who will inherit all of my wealth. You've given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants is going to have to be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir. For you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. And then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him. Now, can I just tell you when I read that, I had a, I had a moment. What's it like if the Lord takes you outside? <laughs> now, we snicker at that, and I did too, because, you know, when we say that, I'm going to meet you outside, buddy. <laughs> going to be a whooping. But honestly, I wonder how he did that. It's what the Lord says. Don't, don't miss the small stuff, church. I wonder, I wonder how he did that. But it's interesting to me. I wonder how, what Ab, Abram felt like when the Lord said, come here, buddy, let's go outside. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Now, I'm going to have to do a little timeline with you this morning in order for us to fully grasp this passage and what I think the Lord is saying to us today. We need to see the timeline, and you need to think in terms of B.C., so you have to count backwards. I want you to understand that what we just read, which is when God gave the promise, took place in roughly 1918 B.C., I want you to hang on to that date for a moment. That's our timeline we're going to look at. That's when the promise is given. Now, I think most of us understand that when God promises you something, He doesn't usually plan to deliver it or fulfill it this afternoon or tomorrow. How many can say that's been my experience? Gives you a promise, but it doesn't mean for the next hour. He's not on the Amazon Prime program, let me just say that. Conversely, when God deals with sin, it is interesting, when God deals with sin, He deals with it immediately. And conviction seems to take place almost immediately. I think that's an interesting point. But when you need a word from him, 
When you're looking for, it's almost like he is silent. So here's a promise that God gives to Abram in 1918, roughly B.C. Now we skip over to, to, uh, to chapter 21 of Genesis, and I want us to see the fulfillment, and then we're going to deal with what happens in between. Genesis 21, the Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant, and she gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. This happened at just the time God had said it would, and Abraham named their son Isaac. So this then is is the fulfillment of the promise that God made back in chapter 15, which we understand took place in about 1918 B.C. But what we just now read in chapter 21 took place in 1898 B.C. So we look at that. How many years are, are there? Very good, whoever is the math genius. It's 20 years. 1898 is when the promise is, promise is made. I'm sorry. Uh, 1918 is when the promise is made. 1898 is when we see it fulfilled. I have to think backwards also. 20 years later, the promise of God comes to pass. And it had to seem like for him... Every year he's getting older. Anybody feel that way? Every year he's getting older, and it's making it more and more impossible for the promise to be fulfilled. Lord, you're running out of time here. I'm getting really, really old. And have you looked at Sister Sarah? She's getting older too. If you're going to fulfill this promise in me, and you know what we do, church? We look at everything. We look at the economy. We look at our own personal finances. We look at our bodies. We look at our emotions. We look at our desires. And we say, God, you're just not coming through. I want to walk you through something in this passage that's truly speaking to me. Genesis 15, 14, 19, 18 B.C. The promise is made that Abram and Sarah are going to have a child. Now, in the middle is chapter 16, and this is where the problem starts. One more date for us to look on our timeline to consider when we look at chapter 16. This chapter starts five years later than chapter 15. 15 is the promise. Now we get to 1913 B.C. Five years they've had this promise hanging over them, and they've been waiting for something to take place, and nothing. Nothing at all. Not even a hint that would make it look like anything's going to happen. They're getting older. Time is fighting against them. There's no thought of pregnancy for Sarai, as her name was then. In fact, it seems completely ludicrous. Chapter 16 is this Ishmael and Hagar debacle that you know about. Abram and Sarai have this Egyptian maid in the house who is obviously much younger than Sarai and much more capable of childbearing. So they come up with this terrific idea, terrific plan, so that God's promise is going to be fulfilled. And it sounds to them like it's going to work in order for them to receive God's promise. And of course, the problem is this. It's their plan and not God's plan. And in chapter 16, verse 4, the Bible says this. I'm in the middle now telling you, oh, put the thing back up. Thank you. In the middle there. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar. She's the Egyptian maid. And she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. 
This is Abram and Sarai's own scheme. It's their own plan, saying that if God doesn't come through quickly, we're going to have to take matters into our own hands, which is exactly what they did. Abram sleeps with an Egyptian maid. Ishmael is born. And suddenly, five years after God gives the promise, when they couldn't wait for God's promise to come to pass, and it's happened to all of us also, you start formulating your own thing. And you give birth to something that's going to cause you problems. And as we understand, is continuing to cause us problems today. All because they could not wait for the Lord to accomplish His purposes in His time. And they jump the gun, and they take this and do it on their own. So this impatience, this desire inside of you to make something happen, it, 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 over, it can overtake you, and it starts to become stronger than the waiting that God has asked you to do. And what is taking place here, church, is something that is so dangerous. Because now you found yourself connected to someone or something that maybe doesn't seem like all that big a deal now, but in the years to come, in the chapters to come, and yes, I would say in the millennia to come, you are about to see the chaos that takes place because of what happened here. Now, I say that to say for those who don't connect these dots, Ishmael, the son who was born to, out of chapter 16, is regarded as a prophet and an ancestor to Muhammad, and therewith the father of all Muslims. And the conflict continues. You know, Galatians chapter 4 is a New Testament look at this very same situation. And the Apostle Paul puts a particular slant on it that we need to understand, if you'll hang with me here for just a few minutes. And since Galatians is really a book about flesh versus spirit, we, we see this perspective from the Apostle Paul. He says in chapter 4, the son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt, that's Hagar and Ishmael, to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. And what Paul was saying to the Galatians was this, your flesh, your, your, your scheming, your desire, your plan, what you think ought to happen has just stepped in. And then back in Genesis, when you jump from chapter 16 to 21, we understand that when, they, when Ishmael came into being, it was 15 more years before the actual promise gets fulfilled. God shows up and, and provides the promise Fifteen years after you've schemed on your own. Fifteen years after you've done your own thing. And at that point of the fulfillment in chapter one, chapter 21 and verse 1, the Bible says, at the end of this, he says, The Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant and she gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. And then it says, this happened at just the time God said it would. You know what God was trying to say to them right there? If I had to put it in today's vernacular and how we would understand it today, it was as if God was saying, I told you so. Church, what we're saying today is you can count on God's word. 20 years after the promise, 15 years later after Ishmael, now listen, and, and, and listen to what we have now. Now, according to Galatians 4, you know what we have in the house? We have flesh and spirit fighting against each other in the house. 
Because something I created out of my own ingenuity, out of my own plan, out of my own scheming, I birthed that, and now the promise comes, and I have the child of promise and the child born out of my own fleshly scheme. And now I have them both living in the same place, and if I just would have waited on the Lord, the whole thing would have been a lot better to deal with. And when we remember that Galatians calls Isaac the child after the spirit and Ishmael the child after the flesh, then Galatians takes the next chapter and says, you always have the flesh warring against the spirit. And now I'm faced with this whole issue of having both flesh and spirit in my house and that if I, if I just would have waited for God to do what he promised, if I just would have believed him, if I just would have trusted him, that he would do what he said he would do, life would have been a lot simpler for me. But the problem that I'm always facing is this, and I bet you have the same thing. Every promise of God has weight built into it. And the weight is probably in the when. When is this going to be fulfilled? What happens is, as the years go on, for you and me, we don't see a promise fulfilled. Or something that we feel like God was speaking to us that has not happened. At that, part, at that point, we start interpreting God not as saying, not yet. That's not what we're thinking. What we see in that when we don't see any fulfillment, we instead think God is saying, not ever is this thing going to happen. And can I just as carefully, with a pastor's heart and yet with fervor in my soul, say to you today, do not let not yet be confused with not ever. Just because it feels like not ever does not mean that you are not still in a season of not yet. So suddenly our own flesh starts to creep in and we're looking for shortcuts, that's what we do. In chapter 15, Abram thinks it's going to come from, the fulfillment's going to come from his servant, Eliezer. Or in chapter 16, Sarah thinks it's going to come from Hagar. She's going to provide this young lady, and, and that's, that's going to be the fulfillment. And we start thinking, how can I make this thing work? What, what do I need to do? Surely I'm smart enough to figure this out. God must need help, and how can I, can I help him out? Church, the worst thing we can ever try to do is to help God out. Can I just give you a newsflash? God doesn't need your help. Doesn't need it. And we think by helping him that we're moving this thing along or we're getting this thing done. Because here's the truth that we don't really like to hear, but it's still the truth. What God does for us, you and me, in the waiting is this. He's doing something distinctive and unique in us, in our lives. And what we fail to see is the waiting process has as much value as the fulfillment of the promise. We just don't like the waiting part. We're not too good at that part. We want the, we want the fulfillment on the other end. You know, when your kids are small, as a father or mother, you realize that there are things you cannot put in their hands based upon their immaturity. It'd be dangerous for them. If you, dad, put something in your child's hand that they're not ready for, you'll find yourself in a very da dangerous situation. You have to wait for them to mature. You have to, have to wait for them to start growing into who they are before, before you give them certain things for them to deal with in life or handle in life. If God makes a promise, he's then going to do something in your life to build the maturity in you and in me that we need to handle the promise even if he promised it 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 10 years ago. So God is not withholding from you 
He is preparing you to receive what he's already told you he's going to give you. Lord, I just stop here to say, you know the struggle I had with preparedness. I don't know who this is speaking to today. It doesn't matter. I don't need to know. I just pray that their hearts will be open to receive it in Jesus' name. I've seen this happen with marriage. I've seen people trying to take shortcuts with marriage. I've seen people uh, reminding God how old they're getting. Lord, if you don't do something pretty quick, I'm going to have to help you out here. And all of a sudden, chapter 16, put my timeline up there, Shane, again, please. Chapter 16, right there in the middle, they had the Hagar debacle with Ishmael. That was their idea to come up with getting to the promise. And all of a sudden, people who are trying to get married too soon, chapter 16 becomes e-harmony for them. Here you are saying, what are my favorite things? Hmm. I like ice cream. I like water skiing. I like the Bible. I like all these things. And guess what? Your Hagar, your Egyptian, is online just waiting to hear from you on the other end. (laughs) And church... When you don't wait on God, you end up bringing some Egyptian into your household that has no business being in your house, texting you, emailing you, instant messaging you, nothing you, if you just would have waited on the Lord. It's not God delaying. It's God maturing you, preparing you for his great and grand and glorious plan for you. Sometimes you're not married because you're not ready for marriage. When we wait on God, it's amazing to see how his timing is. Another shortcut that I see sometimes in marriage that breaks my heart. The most tragic things you'll see is when a husband and wife are in a marriage, but one is not a Christian. And the Christian spouse uses that as fuel to defend their reasoning for leaving the marriage. And I want so bad to remind them what 1 Corinthians says. Your spouse being not saved is not a reason for your divorce. What the Word of God says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And I've watched the Christian spouse leave the other one only to see the unsaved spouse then come to know the Lord. If you just would have waited. Whatever you think your reasoning is today for divorce, just hear the words from our anchor text today. Not yet. You are in a season of not yet. And God is doing something in you. This whole Genesis 16 thing can happen. Genesis 16, taking a shortcut, can happen when it comes to money. It's completely possible to see people willing to, what's the, I need another word other than cheat. Cheat. (laughs) I couldn't think of one. Just in order to make something happen that they want. Cheat, hoping to speed up God's promise. And cheat at the same time that God is saying, it's not that I'm saying not ever, I'm saying not yet. Because I'm trying to teach you something here. And you're trying to get an apartment or housing and it brings you to the point of of deciding, okay, do I tithe or do I not tithe? 
And then the whole Genesis 16 thing really kicks in, the whole spirit of Genesis 16, and you start saying, okay, so do I tithe on the net or do I tithe on the gross? And don't think, don't try to look at me like you've never thought about that. I know you have. And what we're trying to do is find a way out or a way around biblical obedience. And our flesh steps in and says, let me figure out a way to do this on my own. Surely I got a way I can make this happen. Well, Lord, I know that's the house you want us to have. But if we tithe, then we won't be able to get what you want us to have. So, so I guess we'll not tithe in order to get what I know. So the promise will be fulfilled. It's Genesis 16, folks. Do you still love me today? I'm not feeling much love up here yet. I'll, I'll get it. No, 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 no. Stop. You know why I can talk about this stuff? Because I've seen it all and I've been tempted with it all. No different than anybody else in the room. Listen, church, you've got to trust God every step of the way because every day, every week, every month, there will always be a temptation to cheat. Can I get a witness this morning? And if you give in, then you end up with this Ishmael running around that looks a lot like a giant mortgage, looks a lot like a real high credit card debt, looks like a giant car payment that if you just would have waited, God could have provided. If you just would have waited when God was working inside of you. Happens in marriage. Happens with money. Happens in ministry. One of the most challenging situations is when we try to take a Genesis 16 shortcut in ministry. God calls you into ministry, but then you sense that calling. You feel the promise of God that He's given to you. But you were ready like that day to start. But for whatever reason, it almost seems like God set you aside. And He's in the process of preparing you for what He wants to do with you. And it seems like rejection is what God is offering you, but what God is saying to you is, not yet. It's part of the not yet's for you. And sadly, we'll try to scheme and cut corners and try to position ourselves for something, and all the while God is saying, let me do it. Let me open up the doors. The issue here, church, is not whether or not God is going to come through. The issue is will you recognize that you are in the not yet stage and will you wait on God? That is the issue for you today and the issue for me today. The issue is not whether or not God is going to do what he said he would do. That's not even an issue. That's not even a question. The issue is, are we willing to let him work inside of us? Are we willing to shed ourselves of all the scheming and all the plans and all the Genesis 16 stuff and all the Hagar moments and just say, Lord, I choose to trust you. And usually it goes like this. Your challenge is the same as mine when it's been years and we've not seen it happen. Well, I don't see anything happening. That comes out of my heart quite often. And God says, listen, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Those who are waiting on God, something is happening. Because as you wait, you don't think anything is happening. And I know some of you are in a season of waiting today. Trust me, my heart goes out to you. 
I may stand here and preach this with fire and passion. I wish I was a calmer preacher. I try to work on that, but it just comes out this way. This is what you get. And God says, when you think nothing's happening, he says, no, no, no. Something is happening in you that you didn't expect because they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. He says, you're getting stronger as you wait. That's what God is doing in you, and that's what God is doing in me. We're going to turn to one more scripture this morning that might scare you as much as it does me, and this is what I referenced earlier in my message. Pastor Brennan, Arthur, if you want to come. It is truly sobering. I'm going to ask everyone to stay in your place for the next few minutes, please, as we bring this service to a close. Because there's a danger that we need to address here today. And I would not be being responsible if I didn't let you know this. The scripture is Isaiah 50, chapter, uh, chapter 50, verse 10. It says this, Who is among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of his, ser- of his servant? Now listen to me for a second. This is someone walking around with God who fears the Lord, who obeys the Lord. And then the bottom drops out. You ready for this? Who is among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of his servant, that walks in darkness and has no light? Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. I obey God. I fear the Lord. I fear God. But I feel like I'm walking in darkness because I have no idea what Nothing is happening, God. I can't see anything. I can't even see tomorrow. But the rest of that verse says, the same guy who fears the Lord, obeys, that's walking in darkness and has no light. Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. And some versions say that I love and stay upon his God. What he is saying is this. You are in the midst of doing everything right. You are going to have those moments that though you obey God, though you fear the Lord, you love him in all truth, you will have those moments that you have no idea what's happening. And it feels like you're walking in darkness because you can't see anything that's taking place. But it's the next verse that scares me. That is sobering to me. Verse 11. But watch out. You who live in your own light and warm yourselves by your own fire. Those of you who've chosen to do your own thing. This is the reward you will receive from me, Isaiah says. Speaking of the Lord. You will soon fall down in great torment. What is Isaiah saying to us? Try lighting your own fires when it's dark. And you're going to be in trouble. Start scheming your own plan. And not seeking the Lord for his. You're going to end up with an Egyptian maid. And you're in trouble. You're going to end up with a Genesis 16 plan. 
but in the midst of your darkest moments when you can't even feel tomorrow, much less see it, God says to you through this verse, but trust me, rely upon me, keep stayed upon me. You know what, church? In just a moment of real vulnerability with you today, as much as I'd like to give you a happy word this morning and tell you how wonderful everything's going to be when you walk out of here and tomorrow morning, the reality of it is this. This is just the real stuff. It may be dark for you for another two years. What is the promise? God said I would be healed. God said I would be married. God said I would raise a family. God said I would have this job. And I wish I could tell you that all those things are going to happen for you this afternoon. But all I can tell you is what any responsible person who wants to deliver the word of the Lord to you in truth and honesty would say to you, and that is this, you can trust in him. What I show you, the Habakkuk verse said that I referenced earlier, will come true. It may seem slow in coming, but wait for it. It will certainly take place, and it will not be delayed. Stand with me for just a moment. I think this is a day for some of us to say, God, no more schemes. I get it. I get, I, I get it. I, I see it. I've been scheming. Came up with my own plan. I knew you had a promise. It excited me. Gave me hope. But the years have worn that down. And so rather than dealing with that, thought I'd help you out. And I came up with my own plan. But today is the day I'm going to say, no more scheming. I'm going to wait for the strength. Because I recognize that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. And so I'm appealing to those today who need to make the commitment. God, I'm not going to scheme anymore. I'm not going to cheat on your promise. I'm not getting an Egyptian maid in the house. I am going to this day and from this moment forward, I am going to fully embrace the idea of not yet. I am in a season of not yet. And today, I'm going to trust God with the promise that he has over me. Today, I'm choosing strength over scheme. Genesis 18 says, I will return to you about this time next year and your wife Sarah will have a son. Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent. Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time and Sarah was long past the age of having children. So she laughed silently to herself, said, how could a worn out woman like me enjoy such pleasure, especially when my master, my husband is also so old. Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? And the first time we see this question that he poses before us in Scripture, the Lord said to Abraham, is anything too hard for the Lord? 